Geniuses. My name is Jessica Lopez Hermanton, and I am the creator and founder of OT Genius. And you're listening to Pre OT Secrets. On this show, we talk about how to get into occupational therapy school, how to do it in the most financially savvy way. And we also dive into the stories of pre OTs, current OT professionals, and students to learn how they got in and what their experiences were like. And so we're here to inspire, motivate, and encourage you throughout your OT journey and show you how you can be a successful OT school applicant and become the OT that you want to be. Now, on to the show. Hello, OT geniuses. Welcome to another free OT secrets episode. My name is Jessica. And as always, I am really excited about this episode that we're doing right now because we have another awesome guest. We have Jason Davies. He is the creator of OT Schoolhouse and has his podcast that is geared toward occupational therapists wanting to learn more and are in school-based OT. So we're going to be talking about school-based OT in this episode because the whole purpose of this is to expose you to the different settings that you can work in as an occupational therapist and just show you what a typical day in the life is like. And let's find out a little bit more about Jason's journey. So welcome, Jason. How are you today? Hello. Hello. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Always good to be on a podcast. And, you know, usually I'm the host, so it's nice to be on the other end and uh, (laughs) be able to answer some questions and be here with you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you. I've listened to a few episodes and so I'm a big fan of what you're doing and it's just a pleasure to have you on and be collaborating in this manner. You know, I in the past have seen just what you're doing and stuff and I'm like, man, that would be pretty cool for us to collaborate. I had no idea how, but then I came up with this idea of, okay, no, we need to do a setting series and guess who's perfect for the school-based portion? (laughs) Jason. <laughs> That's perfect. So, uh, yeah, I love that you're doing that. that uh, it, it's awesome because we get into OT often and we, we have no idea what to expect, right? We're going to go to OT school, but we don't know where we're going to go. And mm-hmm. so that's great that you're doing like a little series because people need to know what is actually beyond college, right? What is life going to look like after I get my degree, after I get that master's or that doctorate? Uh, where am I headed? And there are so many different fields that OTs can go into. There's fields that... I don't want to say dying out, but there are some fields that aren't as big as they used to be. And then there's other areas where OT is growing like crazy. And so it's nice to know what's going on right now with OT and and everyone that's about to start OT school or apply. Yeah, you want to know what's going on in the OT world. So that's great. Great idea. Yeah. And thank you for that. And I'll just share, you're making me think of a quick story because yeah, I think so many times as we're applying, we think that we know exactly what we're getting into, but at the same time, we really don't. And that was the case for me. I love occupational therapy. I know that I chose the right profession for me, but there were some things in occupational therapy school that caught me off guard just because I did not know that that was either possible in occupational therapy or that that was something that was a part of the profession. So I remember during my level one field work, I did an inpatient rehab level one field work. And so I'm at the hospital and of course 
you know, being a level one student and also just already being in the in OT school for like a semester, or two, like two semesters, I think, you know, I'm like, OK, yeah, we work on ADLs and, you know, all of these different things to help people more be more independent. And then I, when I get to my field work, it really got real. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, wait, you know, like these OTs go into the shower room <laughs> with these people. I'm, that. <laughs> <Yep>. so, <laughs> so it just really caught me off guard. And so that's why I just, I think you're right. Like, you know, you don't know what to expect. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> so I guess let's just start off with that question. What is something that you can think of that caught you off guard working in school-based OT? Great question. Uh, not something that I think about a lot, but I kind of along the lines where you were going, you know, kids have to do those skills at school as well. And so an occupational therapist could be the one to be addressing some of those toileting concerns or personal hygiene concerns, even at the school level. You don't necessarily think about a school-based OT doing that because you think of school-based occupational therapy practitioners, you think of us working educational type of standards, making sure that the student can access their education. But we have to remember that School is more than just sitting at a desk. There's a lot more to school than that, whether you're an OT school or a kindergartner, right? There's recess, going out to the playground, making sure that you can eat your lunch, making sure that you can access the bathroom, making sure that you can wash your hands. All of that fits into the realm of occupational therapy. And so even though we're not in an acute rehab facility, there are still similarities in the sense that OT can support those students with things that you don't think about as education per se. So yeah, that's a, I've never been asked that question. I've never even thought about that, (laughs) but but I think that would be, it It doesn't happen often, but it does happen, you know, and you never know when a teacher's going to come up to you and say, Hey, you know, this student's doing okay academically, but my goodness, I cannot send this student to the bathroom independently to save their life. And it catches you off guard because you're thinking like, how do I support this student in the classroom? But there's yeah. other places on campus that you have to support students as well. One time, actually a quick story. One time I took a bus ride with a student. I literally jumped on the bus after school and I sat like three rows behind a student and I just observed them as they rode on the bus home. And then I took the bus back, wow. to, back to the school to get back to my car. But anyways, it was strictly because there were safety concerns on the bus. And so oh. this was a student with autism, autistic student. And I sat a few rows behind and I just observed because the bus driver had concerns mm. about the student's safety and, and the student wasn't going to be able to continue riding the bus without mm. the because of the safety concern. And wow. so that is access to education, right? The the student needs to be able to get to school in order to learn. And so uh, busing is part of that. And so I jumped on the bus and I saw the student. The student would stim a lot and mm-hmm. she was very much a, a sensory seeker and she was trying to turn herself upside down on the benches. She was like laying across like three benches. So we had to figure out how can we adapt the situation for that student. She was also a fairly smart student. And so they had tried using like seatbelts and whatnot, but she would get out of seatbelts. And so it was tricky. And of course, a bus driver they can't do anything they're driving. Like what they, what are they going right. to do? Pull over every two minutes, turn around and go reposition the student. It's not going to happen. So uh, yeah, just interesting things like that. You know, it's, we don't think about stuff like that, but it, but it comes up. 
I have not personally worked in school based. So that definitely caught me off guard. I never would. I am just like, I have this vivid picture now of you in the school bus observing the child yeah. trying to come up with interventions. Like, okay, how can we get this kid to be able to function in this environment of a school bus and be able to, you know, do it safely? So, oh my gosh, I'm actually curious. Like, so how did, did we, we use a combination you, of, yeah, you know, we use a combination of, of adaptations and behavioral strategies mm-hmm. for the most okay. part. Um, you know, I was already seeing her in the school for, to do some sensory stuff. So it's not like I'm going to try okay. and implement sensory integration within like a school bus, right? That's not going right. to happen. But we were already doing that on the side and she was actually also getting out outpatient SI as well. But we put into place some accommodations. We kind of upgraded the type of seatbelt that they were able to use in the bus. And then we also used some behavioral strategies. The parent was also, she used an iPad with her students. So we used the iPad as well to help her. We made sure that there were games and videos on the iPad that she could access Mm. and and bring those out. Mm -hmm. Um, Also training her a little bit, what's appropriate, you know, appropriate behavior versus inappropriate behavior. I didn't implement social stories, but the speech therapist implemented some social stories related to going on the bus and what that looks like. So it was a team effort. The teacher, myself, the speech therapist, the parent, we all got involved. And, and provided our own little pieces to it to help her out. That is so, so cool. And what made you get into OT? What made you do school-based OT? How did you decide <laughs> on that? That's funny, actually. So my sister is an occupational therapist. She is six years older than me. Um, so if you kind of do the math, right, she was graduating with her OT degree six years before I was in that position. So I was right. kind of in high school. And so I first started going and shadowing her and working at a sensory integration clinic in Pasadena, California. That's how I got exposed to OT. And it was really much an SI clinic. It's actually owned by one of the founders of the clinic is someone who worked under Dr. Jean Ayers. So someone very linked to sensory integration, right? Right. Um, So the entire time I'm in OT school, I'm thinking, I am going to be work in an SI clinic. That was my whole expectation during OT school. I'm going to work in an SI clinic. I knew I wanted to work with kids, so an SI clinic made sense. But then when I graduated, I somehow ended up with an interview for a contract position for a school-based position, and I went with it, and I just kind of ran from there. It wasn't a clinic, but at the same time, I was still working with kids, which is what I wanted to do, and so it kind of worked out. I wish I could say, you know, I always wanted to work in the schools, but that wasn't the case. But I'm so glad that I landed there because I wouldn't be where I am today unless I did. So, you know, it's funny. We don't always Mm. land where we expect to land. Um, Mm -hmm. And over the last 10 years since I've been an occupational therapist, have I thought about potentially going into a clinic and working? Yeah, I have. Have I started about, have I thought about opening my own clinic? Absolutely. Have I thought about I don't know, being a contractor. Yeah, you know, there's pros and cons to every side of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, do do I look back and wish I would have gone a different way? Not at all. And so I'm happy where I landed and it, it's a great place to be. Man, that is, uh, that's some deep stuff that you were just saying <laughs> though. No, at the same time, like for real, because it just comes to show that and it's a, or a reminder that life is not linear and the importance of just being able to embrace where you are in the journey. Because a lot of times, especially if you are a pre-OT or a current student, you have these ideas of maybe what you want to do. Oh, you yeah. envision yourself as an occupational therapist and you're like, okay, no, I want to do sensory integration or no, I'm going to do outpatient orthopedics, which was like my thing. Uh-huh. And then the more that I'm getting into 
into it. I'm like, you know what? I like, I swore I was going to get my CHT and maybe I will. You know, like I could just could have sworn that I was going to get certified in hand therapy, open my own clinic. And the more that I learn about insurance companies, the more that I'm just kind of like, you know what? Do I even really want to deal with this? Right. I'm not so sure. (laughs) So so that's just memes, right? But everything just has its own journey. And you start like just seeing how life takes you in a different direction and that you end up right where you're supposed to be, you know? And so you just, uh, you know, had a beautiful baby boy, four weeks old. And I'm sure that this journey too of doing OT Schoolhouse has gave you a little bit more of the the time freedom to to be with him too you know so yeah i think everything just works out how it's supposed to if you're just moving forward so thank yeah. you for sharing that no actually can i i'll add one more yeah. thing too is that i didn't mention this in the first part of it but student loans and money absolutely go into play when it comes to deciding on where to work and so i took that job as a contract therapist for one year at a local school district not too far from me. And I kind of knew what the going rate was for clinics. Yeah, so can I just add something a little bit to that? When it comes to choosing a job, too, you know, there's no way to weed out this the aspect of money. You know, as OTs, we often, or even OTAs, we come out with financial <laughs> burdens, right? I came out with 120000 student debt. And that needed to be paid. And for me, I wanted to pay it off as soon as possible. I know everyone else has, everyone has different thoughts on how to repay. And we're not going to go into that, but I wanted to pay it off as soon as I could. And so I did take that contract job that I talked about at a local school district. But relatively quickly, I moved on to a job and I almost not quite doubled my salary, but pretty close to doubled my salary pretty quickly because I decided that I was willing to drive to a more rural school district and work in a place where there was less support, but I was able to get that that extra income to then pay down my loan. So absolutely money does come into play because different settings pay different amounts. And even if you, from state to state, that varies, you know, in one state, a school-based OT might make more than a clinic-based OT, but you go to the next county or to the next state and it's flipped. And maybe the clinic OT is making more than a school-based OT. And don't feel bad about taking a job because of the money. You know, you do deserve to get paid. You do deserve to have your expertises, your expertise reimbursed for. And, yeah. Um, so absolutely, money does pay an as- play an aspect when it comes to choosing where we end up. Yeah, for sure. And I think, yeah, money definitely plays a role. And I think it'd be disingenuous if we didn't even talk about that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so it plays a role in every decision that we make. And it plays a role in how we want to, like, the settings that we choose. And so anyway, so... I'll ask just one more question. So we're going to now take it back. All right. right. We're going to take it way back. And I would love to hear about your pre-occupational therapy journey. What was that like? What led you to occupational therapy, you know, in general? And how did you end up choosing school slash where did you go to school? That type of stuff. Like what was your POT journey? All right. I'll try and keep this as short as possible. I grew up in Southern California, about 30 minutes east of Los Angeles. And so in school, in high school, I should start. In high school, 
I really thought I was going to do film. I was, I took four years of animation. I wanted to go to USC for their film school. However, I had a lot of anxiety. I had lack of self-confidence back then. I didn't even apply to any four-year universities at all in fear of rejection. I just didn't apply. And so I ended up going to a junior college out here, uh, Mount Sac. And at that same time, like I think I mentioned earlier, my sister was graduating as an occupational therapist. And so at that point, I started to take some film courses at my junior college, but I was also shadowing my sister a few times a week just to kind of see what OT is. And so I started taking also some psychology courses. So I was kind of getting both sides, film and some psych pre-OT type of courses in, as well as, you know, the general classes that you have to get done in order to to transfer. Mm. So then, you know, I was at Mount Sac two years, at the junior college for two years, and I was like, okay, USC has the top film program and like the top one or two OT programs. So, you know what? I'm still not sure if I want to do film or OT, mm-hmm. but let's go to USC <laughs> and I can figure it out there. <laughs> and so that's Very exactly cool. what happened. Yeah. So that's exactly what happened. I went to USC not knowing film. I was more leaning toward OT by that point, partially because of the job outlook. You know, you go into OT, it's a growing field, especially 10 years ago, even today. And you knew that there was going to be a job available versus I talk to people in film and it's like, man, you're struggling for 10 years. You are. I mean, it's a real grind for 10 years, even to find a job that's stable. And so part of me kind of went with that more stable route of OT. I mean, I love both. I couldn't go wrong with either. And so I went into OT. I love that. And I did get a minor in film at USC. So I still have that minor that background in film. And actually that helps with uh, podcasting because as you and I were talking about (laughs) uh, before we hopped on here, you know, I edited all my episodes for the first 60 episodes or something like that. And I wouldn't have known how to do that had I not gotten a a, uh, diverse education and learned a little bit outside of OT. So, so yeah. Very, very cool. And for those of you listening, uh, I really love that he just shared what his interests are and what he minored in. And because I think that also another common question I get is, oh, what major is going to allow me to stand out? And it doesn't really matter. You know, just think about getting those prereqs that you need for your specific schools. And I would major in something that you have an interest in because you don't know how that knowledge and skill set is going to suit you later in OT. Like he, he was able to bring those skills into podcasting. I'm learning everything right now as we're going through it. <laughs> I didn't I didn't minor or major in film or anything like that, but I'm learning a new set of skills and it just invest in yourself. Uh-huh. Like I think that's yep. the key. If you really want to help people and you know be able to create and have impact investing in yourself and the knowledge that you have in a variety of different things is very essential. And especially if you just want to use those skills to better serve the population that you're most passionate about. So, yeah, you know, the the other day, real quickly, um, side story, the other day I was, you know, going through files and stuff and I came across old OT stuff from school. And I came across like a project that I had to do. And I forgot that I even had to do this until I came across it. But we had to create like a program in one of our classes. We didn't have to implement it, but we just had to go through the creation process. You know, what would this OT program be? And my OT program that I quote unquote created, but never implemented was called the end of reality. Well, I don't know why I came (laughs) up with the end of reality, but what it was, it was actually designed to, again, this is before I wanted to be a school-based OT. This program that I had, come up with was designed to improve 
inclusion between students that are in a film type of program and students that are in a more life skills program within a school and bring about skills with basically I was going to use television and screenplays and just film in order to improve inclusion between students wow. with special needs and the general that's, education. That's and so, so cool. Uh, yeah. Now that I came across it, I'm like, wait, I could actually do this. <laughs> right? It's like, I was like, I'm like, come on. And there was, and actually, and, and I'll just now share this. And then guys, yes. I know this is a really, really interesting episode of, you know, don't worry. He is going to be back. He is going to be back, but I'm just going to share this quick story and then we'll start wrapping up. But I remember I was on a Facebook group and then somebody was asking like, oh, what side hustles do you guys have as occupational therapists? And then somebody put photography. And I remember that I started a dialogue. I'm like, you know that you can use those skills and implement it into practice and actually help individuals with disabilities or people Mm -hmm. that maybe want to do photography and never thought that it was possible for them to do. And now because you have those photography skills and you have the mindset of an OT, the impact and the change that you can make, mind-blowing yeah, you know it's absolutely. it's really really cool and you can and you using film to try and integrate that into schools like it's just a thought sometimes it's just about it's doing idea. it and, yeah. yeah exactly so everything's an idea easy. before it's reality so you know yeah start and yeah and make it happen you know so jason i just want to thank you for being on here and i can't wait to talk to you again and be sure to tune in into the next one okay guys and be, actually before we leave any last words of wisdom on this episode that you want to leave our students with um, our listeners you know i really just want to echo what you said you know don't get caught up on where life's going to take you 10 years from now and uh, worry about today major in what you want to major in and go from there if you're going to go into OT, you're eventually going to need some medical background. But I remember taking some medical courses like I took chemistry at a JC while I was at my four year university only because I needed a prereq. And so don't worry, it'll work out. Get creative if you have to to get those prereqs in that you might need. But yeah, don't worry about it. Do what you love. Do what you want to do. And it, it'll work out. If that's OT, awesome. If it's not OT, that's fine, too. Do what you want to exactly. do. Exactly. Exactly. I always say that better for you to find out, you know, what you're getting into than already being OT school. And you're like, what did I get myself <laughs> yep. into? So Absolutely. anyway, thank you again, Jason. And I will see you in the next one. Sounds good. Thank you so much for joining me and taking time out of your day to listen. We hope that this has been of value to you and will get you one step closer towards becoming the OT that you want to be. One of the biggest problems I see is that pre-OTs, they try to do things alone. They do things in isolation and the connections that they have are minimal for many reasons. But we are changing that here at OT Genius and focusing instead on building a community for pre-OTs for them to have their first OT family and meet other pre-OTs current OT students and clinicians. To be a part of that awesome community, you can subscribe to our membership by going to otgenius.com. Just go to the tab, get me into OT school on the homepage and you can join our awesome community there. You can also find our social medias and ways to get in touch with us on the website. So thank you again and see you in the next one.